0: You don't have to. Where would it go? There we go. So I titled this sermon, Where is the Door? And it seems odd because later Jesus does say he's the door, things like that. So, but, you yeah, know, this is a conversation, This this first chunk of chapter 3 is a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And really... You know, Nicodemus goes to him and is trying to figure stuff out. He's trying to get the truth from Jesus. And so the overall point of this, as we're getting into it, because what Jesus brings up is is what does it take to become a citizen of heaven? What does it take to get into the kingdom of heaven? And so that, you know, thinking about it, so what does it take to become a citizen of a different country? Right, so Austria, so I looked it up just to kind of see, like, what's what. So Austria requires you to live continuously in Austria for 10 years. And along the way, you have to sign an, an integration agreement, which is a process designed to enhance a person's German language skills and ability to participate in the social, economic, and cultural life in Austria. And, so, and you also have to renounce any other citizenship. You can't be a dual citizen. That means you can't have two different passports to go. Like in you, if you want to be a spy and you, you're traveling on your American passport, to be your spy stuff and your Austrian passport to do your touristy stuff. You can't do that, right? You have to do everything under your Austrian passport. And so Germany has a similar process, but hey, it only takes eight years of living there. And even in the United States, it takes about five to seven years. You know, there's all kinds of different little levels, but it takes about five to seven years for you to become a, a citizen of America. But in each case, you have to demonstrate that you understand the culture, the government, and the government system especially of, of the new country you're trying to live in. That's why their process is long. They want to make sure, really, that you're loyal to that country, that you're not just some spy or somebody else who just wants to hop around because you're a criminal or whatever it is. They want to make sure that you have the skills they need to do a different job, things like that. Like, they want to make sure you're going to be a productive member of their society, of your new country. So in first century Rome, though, there were four different classes of people in the Roman Empire. So you, has, you had full citizens of Rome, which are called civis, or civis. And you had Latins, which were non-citizens. And the peregrini, and you had, and they were slaves. Right, so you kind of had these four levels. You had basically from full-on citizenship to you know slaves, just people who got captured you know, in, during their conquests as they, as they went out all the way from you know, Italy, all the way through Europe, all, all the way to, you know, they went all the way to Scotland. After this, for, during the first century, they're going into England at this point. By the time John is this, they're all the way up into, you know, almost Scotland. And all the way over, you know, Egypt, all this other stuff. So, Latins, so that, like that second class, if you want to look at it that way, they enjoyed some, but not all the privileges of the, of the civilian, the full citizenships. And so these privileges, though, they ranged from the opportunity to participate in Roman politics to being exiled instead of fed to the beasts, right? So you had different levels of punishment. So, hey, we're just going to send you to some, some, some small island versus feeding you to the lions in the Colosseum today because you broke the law, whatever it was. Um, and so the way to illustrate this is what the, the website I pulled this from as I was getting this information. It says, perhaps nothing illustrates the advantage better than the different fates of the apostles, Right, so Paul, who was a Roman citizen Because right, he brings it up a couple times in Acts Especially when he gets arrested And you see them, he, they let him go like, immediately So Paul was a Roman citizen And Peter, who was a Judean peregrine So he was a non-citizen right? So when they executed Paul He was beheaded But when they executed Peter He was crucified right? Because crucifixion is a, is a worse punishment right it was it was you were up there exposed just like Jesus was right? it was a, it was usually a symbol to the other rebels especially who said this is what happens to you if you want to rebel or you want to break the roman law no matter what right so that kind of you see the difference between how paul was treated and how peter got treated all because of their citizenship status and so the people of judea when they joined They they joined roughly 80 to 90% of the empire that were not citizens or Latins. So a large part of the Roman Empire was not even a full citizen or even the the second-class citizen, as it were. And so they even had different laws. They had what was called the law of the people, but they weren't subject to the law of Rome. And the law of Rome was actually laws for the actual citizens. So the peregrines, everybody else, they were made to pay taxes, but the citizens were exempt. So if you're a citizen, you don't have to pay taxes, but if you were... You know, the non-citizen, you had to pay taxes for stuff that, you know, you, I mean, they made your life better. They brought in aqueducts and things like that. But, you know, it's kind of odd, kind of right? But, so the non-citizens are paying for the citizens to do things. So becoming a Roman citizen, though, was also very difficult. And so most of the Jews, they were, they were literally third-class citizens, as we saw the list there. So the Jews were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for this establishment of the kingdom of God. And so this idea of being included in his kingdom is huge because they, they would move from third class to first class citizens. And so that's why you hear and see this push for this understanding of, of, is the kingdom going to be set up today? Are you fixing problems? Are you going to move us up two classes automatically, right? If you ever played sorry, right, you roll the dice, you got to go back four steps, well, no, we want to move up. We want to hit that slide and go all the way to the beginning. And so Jesus is coming in here, and Nicodemus comes and finds him at night. And he's going to outline what it takes to become a citizen of, citizen of the kingdom. Right? He's going to explain what it really means and what it takes to become this, to gain your citizenship. Because, again, we're going to cover a little bit, but really, there was, it wasn't impossible to become a Roman citizen, but it was very, very difficult. It was, it, it was very hard, like, for instance, you had to serve, in, if you served in the military, you, you could join the military as, as a third-class citizen, and after you served your 25 years and you didn't die, <laughs> you became a citizen of Rome. So hopefully you make it through all the wars and wherever else you're going to make it to that citizenship. And so he's, Jesus is coming in here saying, look... This is a lot simpler of a process for you. God has it set up. where he, he streamlined the process to get you in the door for this to make you a citizen of, of, of God, a child of God. If it doesn't require a language test, thank God. Right. And it's as simple as believing the good news of Jesus Christ. Again, saying that, it's all you have to do is believe. So hmm. There's always, all you have to do is a lot more it's a lot bigger than what you think but there are a lot of theological stones in here we've got to unpack and undo here in chapter 3 so so we're going to break it up like I said earlier so again this, this is a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus and we're going to see what, what he's looking for because Nicodemus wants to know what's going on he wants to understand and so this is a pretty short conversation but we're going to stretch it out because if we're crossing a river We may not think it's very far to get to the other side, but it's very deep. So we all need some floaties to get across the river, right? So slow going is our approach. Let's go ahead and read John chapter chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. So John tells us, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus replies, How can anyone be born when he is old? This doesn't make sense. Nicodemus asked him, Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear a sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. We're stopping there, right, because it's sort of a break. So we'll probably end up covering a little bit of uh, verse 8 next week a little bit. But we see this conversation, and and Jesus kind of drops some bombs on Nicodemus here. He's like, what? This doesn't make sense. So here's the main idea. Here's the big point today. God the Holy Spirit gives us the vital tools to understand who the triune God is and gives you citizenship into the kingdom of heaven. Right, we are led by the Holy Spirit to understand these things that Jesus is talking about. Right? That is the Holy Spirit's role as sort of an interpreter to help us get what's going on here. So when we felt I don't know, I don't know if weird is the right word, or when we understood we were converted or saved, we all have that whatever that story is for you, whenever we everything clicked. That's what the Holy Spirit was doing. He was taking you, he was clicking the little optometry machine, saying, does one or two look better, right? How about now? And all of a sudden, he puts that one, they're like, yes, I see it. That's pretty much what he did. They're like, oh, that's Jesus. Oh, I see him. I got it. Right, that's pretty much the easiest analogy I could come up with on the spot, actually. So thanks, Holy Spirit. So God does three different things, though. And if you're looking at your outline, right, God gives you new sight. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He gives you new life, and he gives you a new nature. He's going to give us these things so we understand what it is to be in the kingdom of heaven. So the first thing is that God gives us new sight. So again, Nicodemus is coming to Jesus at night. Now, some people think that, oh, this could be he didn't want all his friends to know what he was doing. He didn't, you know, he, he just wanted to talk to him in secret, whatever it was. Maybe, but it, Jesus is still in Jerusalem. So Jesus is a busy guy. As Nicodemus says, he said, you're performing these signs. So it sounds like there's more things going on that we than we were told here, even in John chapter 1, 2, and 3. So this may have been the only time Jesus was available to have a meeting. That could be just as simple as that. Because, again, Jesus isn't an outlaw or he's not wanted yet or anything like that. So he's not on the radar of all the Pharisees necessarily. So he's not, they don't want to kill him yet. That takes a couple more chapters. So there's no, not necessarily any reason to, like, hide from everybody else. They may have sent him to go talk to him and say, all right, go figure him out. But Nicodemus rightly understands that he's a teacher and he's coming from God. He's come from God. And so, Nicodemus, though, is not ready to jump on the idea that Jesus is God. He just knows that he's sent from God, right? They haven't made that bridge just yet. But he's seeing, like, he's seeing through the fog. He's seeing what Jesus is doing, and he sees there's something there. He knows, understands that Jesus is special, at the very least. And so, again, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, so he understood a little bit better. He was educated. You know, he went to seminary, essentially. He, he had the Messiah handbook to know what to look for. Like, is he the Messiah, yes or no? Check all the boxes. If it's more than seven, he might be the Messiah Kind of thing, right? So do you do this? Do you do that? You know, it's kind of the Messiah bingo card at this point. He's like, he does that, he does that. Bingo! And so he asks Jesus, or he tells him, he said, we know, you're, we know you're here from God. So what's going on? And Jesus replies to him in verse 3, he says, truly, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So what he's kind of telling us here, look, ah, you're on the doorstep. You're getting close to that clear picture because you're understanding who I am. Right? You're seeing me for who I really am. Even though you just haven't figured it out 100% just yet, but he tells them unless one is born again, and you kind of probably hear, you probably see the, you, hear, you can tell by the verse four, like born again. What does that mean? Like how is that even possible? Because again, kind of like we talked about on, on Thursday night. A lot of times we read things, or we hear things, we see things. We see that on the on a natural normal level right we are constantly reading the Bible with how we understand the world and if something comes across where it's like that's not how it's supposed to work it has to be fake it has to be false it has to be a trick it has to be some kind of you know magic essentially whatever it is because it can't work that way there's no way that something like that could happen just like being raised from the dead no way somebody could be raised from the dead so they must have stole his body. Yeah, you have those kind of, those ideas of during the resurrection. <clears throat> and so Jesus is going further. He, said, he, he commends G- Nic- Nicodemus for actually seeing what's going on. He's like, oh, you're here. You got it. Like, sweet. And we're going to get to that born again part, that new life here in the, second ch- in the second point of the sermon. But Jesus is making it clear that something has to happen before you can properly see what's going on. Before you really get it Before everything clicks Something else has to happen So when you read the Psalms Or other passages Of the New Testament And and even John 1 Everything is about God's kingdom We live in the physical realm We live in his kingdom Whether people acknowledge How everything got here Is a completely different story Right? The Big Bang Theory Evolution All the other stuff The truth of the matter is God created everything God is here God, God did it all and so to understand that there was a designer, a creator, it takes a special bit of knowledge. And it's not so special knowledge like, look at me, I'm so smart. I know something you don't. Because it's free knowledge to give up. Anybody can buy a, buy a Bible, especially in America, in their native language, in, in English, if they read English. And you can, read, you can buy 40 different Bible versions, all in one language, basically. Right, so you can read it if you read English. Other Bibles are getting written in different languages, so they're native; so they can understand it natively. But this is free knowledge available to everybody. And so we see this this knowledge is given to Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus with this point of he, he he's kind of filling them out. He's kind of asking, "Am I right? Is what I am seeing going on? Is that correct?" And so again, we we in the introduction, the Roman citizens. It applies to the kingdom of heaven. So citizens of heaven have a dis- different understanding and different privileges than the non-citizens. Right? We all live here. But those of us who are believers, we have different privileges from God than other people. Now everybody gets God's grace. There's a general grace that, we, that they, everybody gets. It kind of keeps them alive. It keeps them safe. They may be rich, whatever. But we as believers get a special grace. And part of that special grace brings us to Him into the kingdom because God has elected you, me, you, whoever, for whatever reasons, to become this citizenship. It's, it's He has just given it to us. But again, something has to happen before you can see what's going on. And again, that's the work of, of God. So here's the application for that, though. Is God gives you the ability to have your eyes opened to His kingdom. And so Paul wrote about this in Romans 8, verses 29 through 30. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Theologians call this the order of salvation. How you get from A to B of your belief from unbelief to belief when God does all the work, He is, he is calling you, He has elected you, and then He, when it's your time on earth, he, you get that phone call essentially saying, Hey, come on over. Come to the embassy, and I'll let you, you, you can come in now. And so, even events like this are foreordained, right? This conversation wasn't unforeseen. Jesus knew what was going on, He probably knew to be where He had to be. Just like He said about the wedding of Cana, it's not my time yet. But then he understood that was his time to make the miracle. <clears throat> Nicodemus most likely felt called to go and talk to Jesus. For some reason, he's like, I need to go talk to this guy. I don't even know why, but I need to go find out what's going on about it. Because Nicodemus' spirit has been regenerated or reborn. And see, this rebirth allows Nicodemus to see that Jesus is not just doing party tricks. He is truly working from the power of God. And it's going to take Nicodemus a little bit longer to really fully grasp who God is. Right? We, he really doesn't get, well, I would say, you know, what we term as saved or converted until you know a few chapters later and and maybe even to the end not the end of the book. But when we see the kingdom, what we see is, is both here and now. And it's still in the way right? We know Revelation is coming The book of Revelation everything The end times is coming And we're still here But yet we have now moved over Our citizenship from, from the earth To the heavens And if you recognize that you are one of God's people You now have access and participation In God's kingdom And so like the order of salvation Everything is enacted on you It is done for you. So chief of which is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that makes all this possible. He paid for your sins. He justified you before God. That's what his sacrifice did. Nothing we do can pay for that. We can't just make it right. We can't just go into the bank and say, all right, God, here's all my money. I hope that's enough to pay for my bill. Jesus says, don't worry about it. It's already paid for. Your money's no good here. And so his death and resurrection secures your passport stamp or your approval of citizenship into the kingdom. And so the act of making your way into the gates is done by God. And so when you go through this gate, you now have a new life. And so we go into verses 4 and and 5. It says, How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Right, again, Nicodemus is thinking this physical realm, like how, I, know, I watch calves being born, I see it, I get it. They come out of the mall, they stand up, they run around, they grow up, they have babies, whatever. It doesn't make sense. He you know, gets stuck on this physical idea of how things are supposed to work, and so, because he seems okay with seeing the kingdom of God he's like that makes sense to me I get it that's what we're waiting for but I don't get how this other process happens because it's completely unnatural right? it's supernatural and so Nicodemus is probably referring to himself but Jesus is talking about you he uses that word in the plural so you meaning the, everybody who is going to be in the kingdom right? and we kind of lose that in our, in our in English of, of understanding a plural and singular use of a word but the word in greek is in a plural sense so he jesus is talking again bigger picture everybody you not just you you right again nicodemus is strictly thinking on a literal natural level but in verse 5 jesus is using this language to bring up this conversation to the theological level that's where jesus lived basically and so first the Spirit helps you see the kingdom, and, and now the Spirit brings you into the kingdom. So he says a man must be born of water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven. So water. Water is a key ingredient to sustaining life. You can only go a few days without, without it before your body starts, starts to shut down. I, I was listening to a podcast about um, Custer's Last Stand, about a little bighorn, and apparently, I guess the second day when they got stuck up on the hill... They were surrounded by, you know, the Sioux tribe, all, all the warriors. They had to run about 500 yards to go to the river to get water, the, you know, the, the cavalry. And so they risked their lives on several runs because that water is so important. They're like, well, if we don't get it, we're all going to die anyway, so we might as well try and get some water to help, to help the wounded especially and everything else. So, you know, you see how important water is we, we we're living in a drought we can't understand it living in a desert environment like this like the desert here in Israel would drive that point home as well you know they live near the dead sea which you can't use you can't drink it it's got too, it's too salty right, so they need to have fresh water to to do this and so water though also washes you clean Right? And John was talking about being baptized. John the Baptist was talking about being baptized, cleansing yourself, and, and not just washing the dirt off you, right, because there's nothing better than if you're outside working and you just get filthy with dirt and mud to have that wash off you. Now, you better not be doing that in the house, right? <laughs> you better hose yourself off outside before you come in the house with that. But also, it symbolically purifies you of your sins. Right? That is part of what the baptism represents. You're being cleansed and also you're being buried under the water before you come back up and resurrected. So water has a huge point or play in this as well. So Ezekiel 36 verses 25 through 27. Ezekiel says, I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Sounds a very New testimony. If you weren't really paying attention to where it came from, it sounds like, oh, that must be a New Testament passage. But that is an Old Testament passage from Ezekiel. So what we do is baptism and things like that. And this regeneration is nothing new. This is Old Testament. The Bible is the same. It's consistent. God is foretelling this is what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. So when people say, oh, it's, it's nowhere near the spirit side in, in the Old Testament, there he is. Your regeneration, your new heart, all this stuff is all there. And so there's a whole ritual with water that surrounds in, in John 7 and 8 that we'll get to about the coming Messiah with water. We'll, we'll get to that when we get there. But there's foreshadowing and forth, things that are forthcoming here that we see. And so the Spirit is the second part of entrance into the kingdom. So the Spirit awakens us to our sinful nature. He exposes our sins, and He opens our eyes to the things of God and shows us how far we are from Him. Right? If you've ever been kind of tired or something like that, or you can't really see, or you're looking across somewhere, like, where's everybody at? And all of a sudden you realize that you are way far from anybody else or any any civilization You're like oh i need to get walking i'm very fine i need to move that way and that's really what it does is say you look at oh god's over there and i'm over here i need to go there right? and the holy spirit says yes he drives you and pushes us you need to go over there to him you need to, you can't live over here in this old country you need to go to your new country and so he also does something else. So the Holy Spirit shows us the cross and he leads us to where Jesus is standing. Jesus is standing there beckoning to us to come to him. As we get closer, we hear that Jesus is saying that you are forgiven, my child. If you accept me, you, if you believe in me, you are forgiven from your sins. And that's part of it, is you to acknowledge that. And he shows us the adoption paperwork that says, yes, here you go. You are a new citizen in heaven and you now... Have a new family with God. And so Paul tells Titus, he in, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, he says, He saved us, oh so Jesus, right? Jesus saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Right? Through the washing and the regeneration of, our, of the Holy Spirit. And so this idea of newness, of belonging, tells us that we have a new nature. We're no longer from this old country. We're no longer citizens of our our old place, right? Just like Austria. Like, look, if you're coming over here, you need to renounce your citizenship of wherever you're from. And that's really what we need to do as well. You renounce your old self. Like, I don't want to be him. I'm not him. I'm not from there. I am living over here now. Because... John's whole point of writing this is that he wants to tell people who Jesus is. But partly, what he's also doing, and all the other New Testament writers are also doing, is they are explaining to the new Christians, and more accurately, the new citizenship, they're having citizenship classes, basically, so that everybody can understand what it means to become a Christian, what whatever it, whatever it means to be here in this world now, into the kingdom of God, right? So they're, they're educating people and bringing them in, just like it would take a citizenship test, essentially, to say, all right, what does this mean? All right, how do we run our government? How do we do this in church? How do we do that? We do the same thing here at church. If you want to become a member of the church, you go through a membership class make sure you, know, you kind of know what's what. How we run things as, as, as Red Oaks Baptist Church, as, as Southern Baptists, so everybody's on board and we're not just, well, I didn't know you guys did that. You know, I didn't know. Like an old bait and switch or something like that, right? We we don't want to do that. Everything's up front. This is how we run the church. This is what we do. This is what we believe. And so we go into this new nature. So verses six through eight, this last part. Jesus says, "Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear it sound." But you don't know where it comes from, for where it is, where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And so another way to put this statement of what is flesh is flesh and what is spirit is spirit is, is really saying what is, a, what is of the earth is of the earth and what is of heaven is of heaven. Right? The world is going to world. They're going to do what they want to do and you need to not do that in most cases. You need to act according to what God says in his precepts. So Paul touches on this in Romans 6. So this is a lot of it. But it's the, like the first 14 verses of, of, of chapter 6. So he says, Paul says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Lesson number seven is important. Since a person who has died is free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe also that we live with Him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. And death no longer rules over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all time. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's a whole bunch of sermons on that. But we won't do that today. But but really, you can just read this over and over again. Since a person, verse 7, Since a person who has died is freed from sin, you don't have to keep sinning. You don't have to keep doing it. You don't have to keep fighting that and say, Oh, should I do it? Should I not do it? No, you don't because you now have a new, you are a new creation in Christ. You have a new mind. So Paul goes on in verse 12. He says, Therefore, do not let sin, sin reign in your mortal body. So that you obey its desires. Do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God. And all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. We are no longer slaves to sin under the flesh. We don't have to live that way. We don't have to give in to our desires because the relief we get from sinning, that joy or that happiness, I'll say, we get from sinning, it's very temporary. right? What is it? What is it? A, a moment on the lip, a second on the lips, and a lifetime on the hips. <laughs> Talking about cake, right? Oh, t- cake tastes super good until so you've got to burn it off until you realize your pants don't fit. And I don't want to make light of sin by using a, a, a food analogy, but that's kind of the easiest way we can kind of look at it. Because unfortunately, the, the downside of Many downsides of sin is destructive. Sin is more than just a couple pounds on your your hips or you can't fit your pants. It is destroying relationships. It destroys your jobs. It destroys church, family. It destroys a bunch of different things. And it's all very temporary. So it's really not worth it. Because you have so much more. Because we don't want to live in an unrighteous way. We want to live in a righteous way. Because the problem with sin especially is it may make us happy for a second, then we feel super guilty because we know because the Holy Spirit's convicting us. But we feel guilty because we sinned. So we have two choices. You either sin again and make your pain go away or you pe- repent. You have to say, I'm sorry. And a lot of times that's very difficult. So I'm just going to keep doing it again and all of a sudden, you're spiraling down. Because we don't want to do the hard work So here's the application part. You are not the same person that you were BC, right, before Christ. So you are not the same person that you were before Christ. And so in history, we measure time by BC. There's two different eras, right? BC, before Christ, and anno domine, which is the year of our Lord. So anytime after Christ's birth. It doesn't mean after death, by the way. As a kid, I thought that, because it made sense. But that is not such a case. It means the year of our Lord. So in your life, in your new life, you have the same thing. You have a time period before that you were before Christ. Before you knew who He was, before you understood the Gospel, before you accepted it, before the Holy Spirit got a hold of you and helped you see everything. You were living your life as a sinful person, a fallen person. And hopefully that's a very short period of time, but sometimes it's very long. And then you have... You cross over into this year of our Lord, where every day and year you live is now in the year of the Lord. You are now living for Christ. You are now living because of Christ. Right? Once you cross over, your rebirth starts over. That clock starts ticking from zero to whatever. So you could have a Christian birthday, essentially, where I got saved here. So I am, you know, 20 something years old as a Christian. You know, I'm 40-something years old as a human being. And that number isn't really important. You can't really say, well, I've been a Christian all my life. Well, that's great, I'm glad, but the person who gets saved the day before he dies still gets to heaven. And that's still important. If that's just the way it worked out, that's the way it worked out. So how long you spend as a Christian is not as important other than it probably gives more um, Onus to you if you've been a Christian forever And you say that and you act completely different Because you really need to check it And make sure you are acting and living According to Christ So I don't know, you guys know I'm a nerd So how many of you guys have ever heard of Doctor Who It's a show A few of us, alright So if you don't know, it's a British science fiction fantasy show He's a guy who travels around in a blue box And he travels around in time He's called a time lord So every so often though He regenerates so from, from a story standpoint, a human actor standpoint, the, guy gets, the person gets tired of acting, so they, they kill him off, or he changes persons, right, so they just change into a new person. But from the story point, you know, he, it's called He Regenerates. And so, so this is sort of what happens from, from a, a Christian perspective. So when the, gener- when the regeneration happens in the show... It's very disorienting for the doctor, and so all this stuff starts glowing, and everything else, and all of a sudden he changes into the, the next the next doctor. And so when he or she transforms, they remember things, they remember things from the old doctors, but they also have to make new memories and things like that. And they know, but they act and look completely different. So the people are like, "Well, you're not the right, you're not the same doctor." And they're like, "Yes, I am the same doctor. I just you just watched me change right here. You know." I'm the same doctor, it's just, I'm different now. And it's the same with us. You know, the doctor's a new person, but he's the same person, but he's a different person. It's the same thing with us. Physically, we are the same. Unfortunately, we don't get to change into a different person. Oh, you must have become saved because you're now a different person. You know, it would be nice if it worked that that way. People could actually tell, like, oh, you are saved. Okay. But, we know when we get regenerated, we have different thoughts. We should have different actions. We should have better God minded thoughts and God oriented actions. And so Paul tells the Philippian church, chapter 3, verse 12, verses 12 through 14 says, Not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect. Paul, Paul's well aware that he is not perfect. But I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have taken hold of by Christ. By Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself having taken hold of it. For one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. The that last part of verse 14, forgetting what is behind. So stop feeling guilty because you used to be a certain way. Because it should be I'm not that way now, right? I used to, yes, I used to do whatever. I used to do dumb things because I was a dumb kid. Now I don't do those things. I'm an adult. I do other things, and I'm a Christian. I used to not be a Christian, and now I am. So I'm not going to lament and worry about all these things. Now, the problem is you have people who don't want to let it go. Well, I remember you used to do that. Remember we used to party all night, all weekend long? You get hammered and you, you know, all the other stuff, whatever it is, right? It's like, oh, yeah, well, that's not me anymore. Oh, sure, you sure? Come on. You don't change. Yes, I did change. I have changed. I don't do those anymore. And whatever those eustos are, that's what we need to forget. And Paul goes on in Philippians chapter 3, he says, Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. If you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join me in in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, now I'll say it again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. The flesh is the flesh. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for the Savior, for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to Himself. All right, we have to wait to change, just like in Doctor Who, He regenerates. We have to wait for that glorious return of His, and we get a glorified body where nothing's going to hurt. Chuck can work all day at the church forever, 10,000 years, and he's never going to be sore. Bob can crawl around the attic pulling cable forever and never be sore. I can get out of bed and not be sore. It's great. can't wait. Right? But we need to rejoice in the fact that you are a citizen of God's kingdom. You can rejoice that you have a new life in Him. You can rejoice that no one can take it away from you. And you can rejoice because you can tell others about God. And you can pass that joy along. So the author of a, of a writing called The Shepherd of Hermas, it's, it's a, you know, considered to be a church father, so early, early Christianity um, some other stuff got written so one, one book is called the Shepherd of Hermas and, and he wrote a bunch of parables as you're teaching people he said for if you wish to enter into any city that city is walled all around and has one gate only can you enter into the city except through the gate which it has why how sir say I is it possible otherwise right how of course I had to go through the one door right We we have multiple doors in the church and It's kind of confusing to people, unless you know which door to have, right? But look, there's only one door. And so between two people talking. He says, if then you cannot enter into a city except through the gate itself, even so, he said, said he, a man cannot enter into the kingdom of God except by the name of his son that is beloved by him. So the question of the sermon is, where is the door? The answer is God, is Jesus. Jesus is the door. If you want to find the door to heaven, you have to find Jesus and give him your life and your soul. That is the key. That's what unlocks it. So that you can be remade by God the Holy Spirit and live in his glory and light for the rest of your days. That is the whole point. That is why we teach the gospel and that's what Jesus is working towards here with John 3.16 because that is the whole point of the Bible. To point Jesus to point people to Jesus to bring them into heaven so we can all show them the door. And that's, even if you have to wait in line, it's, way, it's a way better line to wait in than Disneyland. Right? So as we, as we go out this week, are you standing at the right door to get in? Or are you just standing on one of the false doors? Or do you think you're at the right door? You know, are you in all the way? Or is, you know, can we improve upon our new lives that we have and our new citizenship. All right, so as we sing our last few songs, as we go out this week, right, think about that this week, how we can do that, and how we can point others to the door as well.